my name is Wade, one of the pastors here at IGC, and um, we usually read we usually read uh, the passage first before we go into the sermon. But uh, we're going to hit a couple passages as we go on um, through the sermon. So we are going through a series in the spiritual disciplines, and today we're talking about discipleship. And if you've been with IGC for a while. You've heard us say that our mission is to follow Jesus and to help others follow Jesus. If you go to our website, that's one of the first things you see. Our mission as a church is to follow Jesus and to help others follow Jesus. In its most basic, basic form, this is what discipleship is. Today we're going to talk about discipleship as a spiritual discipline. And we've, we've had... We've had workshops around the subject of discipleship. There are a number of discipleship groups happening in our church right now. The elders have been talking about how we as a church can uh, create this culture of discipleship, how the idea, the, the actions of discipleship can be embedded in the life of our church. And in the coming weeks, we'll be announcing some things surrounding um, discipleship group training. So super excited about that. This is what we want to do as a church and this is a, a big topic that we can approach from different angles. You've heard about this from multiple people um, in different contexts. And you're going to hear more about this as IGC continues to mature. So discipleship, um, just a quick definition for those of, uh, as a reminder to us. Um, discipleship is, a disciple is someone who learns from a teacher. A disciple is someone who learns from a teacher, someone who follows a teacher but this is not mere information transfer. It's entering into the world of this teacher. It's learning how to live like this teacher does. It's, it's doing what he tells you to do. It's learning to trust him. His, his values become your values. His instincts become your instincts. And for us as believers, discipleship means that we have an intimate relationship with the one that we learn from, our teacher, Jesus we learn his ways, we, we imitate him, um, we learn to value what he values, his ways, the ways that he thinks become the ways that we think as time goes on. And it's not only one way, it's not just that Jesus teaches us, but we also become disciple makers just as Jesus is a disciple maker. So you may remember this passage in Matthew 28, make disciples of all nations we ourselves are to take responsibility for the spiritual lives of others. It's not one way. It should be going both ways. So that's just a quick definition of discipleship. And today, my goal is for us to see how being a disciple of Jesus, how engaging in discipleship relationships changes us. We're talking about spiritual disciplines. Um, disciplines are things that shape who we are. They're not just things that we do, but over time, over months and years and decades, we become a different type of person when we engage in the disciplines. And my hope today is that we'll seriously consider what we need to be doing to make discipleship an integral part of our lives. So we have three points today. Uh, they're in your, in your bulletin. Number one, it is the movement of discipleship. Number two, the place of discipleship. And number three, the reward of discipleship. And in each of these points, I want to show us how it is that these things shape us. The spiritual disciplines are meant to recalibrate how we engage with God and how we worship God and how we engage with the world and how we see ourselves. And I want us to see how these truths of discipleship 
shape us, how we are being remade little by little as we engage in discipleship. So our first point, the movement of discipleship. So we've talked about the spiritual disciplines the past several weeks, things like prayer and scripture reading, worship. Um, Last week, we talked about taking the Sabbath, resting. That to rest is a discipline. I think that's pretty amazing. Uh, In the coming weeks, we'll talk about mercy and justice. We'll talk about evangelism. And it's so encouraging um, for me to hear and uh, for the leaders to hear how you guys, the, the people of IGC, have been taking these things seriously. You're, you're thinking through how can you integrate these things into your lives. So this is something that we're thankful for. This is the work of the Lord, um, and we are doing this together. So it makes us really glad that this is true of us. And when we're talking about the spiritual disciplines, what we're trying to show is not only are they necessary elements of our lives, but that they are for our joy These disciplines are for our good, for our happiness and our joy and our thriving as they become ingrained in us. So we shouldn't approach these disciplines as mere duty, but these disciplines are the means by which we become more of us. You become more human. You become more who God made you to be when you engage in these disciplines. These disciplines are the vehicles in which God delivers to us his grace and goodness. So we should look at these things, take them seriously, and think, man, if I want to become the type of person that God created me to be, maybe these are the things I should be doing. And the only way that they they can be these things that, that give us joy and that change us is if they're tethered to something compelling and solid. They can't be one off activities. And what I'm going to propose to you is that that's something that we need to tether ourselves to, that that's something that's compelling and solid. That thing is discipleship, and discipleship is following Jesus. It's not merely doing things like prayer and scripture reading. Those things are the means, but Jesus is the end. Uh, when, when I was in elementary school, I, I took violin lessons for three years, and... Um, I hated it so much. All three years, I hated it. Every week, I, d- I take violin lessons, and um, I did not enjoy it. But for three years, this went on. And during this time, I learned the basics of music theory. I learned how to hold the instrument in the proper form when you play the violin. I listened to classical music. And in class, I learned how to play the scales. I learned how to play the songs. And once a year, there would be a recital with all the other public schools in the Fremont School District. And there were uh, dozens and dozens of music students all, that all played violin or the cello or the viola. And um, once a year, this, I would take part in this. And um, there, there's one recital that sticks out in my mind. And uh, this is one of the indelible memories of my childhood. Not for what happened, but for what did not happen. So this is what did not happen. This, the program began the conductor took her place. All these students, they, they got in their seats, they, they held their instruments ready to play the music that they had rehearsed and practiced for months. Everyone put their bow to the strings. And as the song began, the first song, all the students started playing their instruments. Everyone except for me. I watched the bows move, and what did I do? I held my bow half an inch above the strings, and it moved along just like everyone else. But there was 
No sound whatsoever coming from my instruments. Despite the lessons and the rehearsals, I knew that I could not play what I should have been playing. I literally went through the motions. And even though I knew what to do in theory, I didn't make contact with the violin. Because for me, the, I didn't make the connection between all these things that I'd studied, all these things that I had practiced and rehearsed. I didn't make the connection between those things and actual music. The components that made up my musical education, the, the, these were the means. But the music was the end goal. And I couldn't see that. I couldn't make the connection. The reason why I wasn't motivated to practice, the reason why I wasn't motivated to learn the songs, is because I could not see that beautiful music could result from that. And I wonder if this is true in our, our spiritual lives. It's possible to attend church and listen to sermons, and you can have Bible studies, you can attend community groups, you can participate in various aspects of church life, you can... You can volunteer. You can be around other believers. And it's possible to do all these things for years and not make the connection. It's possible for us to do all these things and not see that Jesus is the end goal. Now, how many of us can say that Jesus is everything to us? Is he our deepest desire? Can we say that we're willing to do what's necessary for him to honor him? What drives us to do the things that we do in our time and with our budgets and the way that we interact with other people? Discipleship means that we, we connect all the practices of the Christian faith and connect them to the person of Jesus Christ. And this is what I mean when I say the first point is discipleship is a movement. It means that Jesus is moving. Jesus says, follow me. And what is someone who says, follow me? What do they do? It means that they're going somewhere. Jesus Christ is doing something in the world. He is doing something in our church. He's doing something in our community. He's doing something in our families. To quote the beaver in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Aslan is on the move. Do you remember Aslan, the Christ figure in the Narnia series? Aslan is on the move. And when the main characters in the book hear these words, something in them stirs. And I'm going to read this little uh, passage from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. The beaver speaks. Aslan is on the move. At the name of Aslan, each one of the children felt something jump in its inside. Edmund felt a sensation of mysterious horror. Peter felt suddenly brave and adventurous. Susan felt as if some delicious smell or some delightful strain of music had just floated by her. And Lucy got the feeling you have when you wake up in the morning and realize that it is the beginning of the holidays or the beginning of summer. Because Aslan is on the move. And Jesus is on the move. And when we realize that something stirs in his disciples, when we understand this, so now let's look at our passages. Our first one is Matthew chapter 4. This is the calling of the first disciples. Um, here is Jesus is, he's calling out to Simon and Andrew, and, and they drop what they're doing in order to follow him. Um, so look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20 with me. This is a, sh a short passage, but there's so much packed into it. 
Matthew 4:18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now, in this passage, these two men, they, they, they're doing what they've been doing for their entire lives. Their entire adult lives, they've been doing this, catching fish. They knew the sea, they knew their boat, they knew their equipment, they knew the currents of the water, they knew the fish that they've been pulling in day after day, year after year. They knew how the market and the, the economy worked for the fish trade. These men knew exactly what they were doing. And Jesus calls out to them. He calls out and he says, follow me to hear the voice of Jesus. And the trajectory of their entire lives change in that moment. Look at this adverb in the passage, immediately. Immediately they walked away from the familiar. Right away, these disciples, without hesitation, they become students of Jesus. Now, why would they do that? Would you do that if you were sitting at your desk at work and Jesus said, follow me? Would you just tell your boss, time to go, I need to listen to Jesus? Would you say that to your family? Would you say that to that person who is most important in your life? I got to go. Look at the three elements of Jesus' call in verse 19. Because in this one short sentence, in this command, we see how being a disciple of Jesus shapes us. So first off, Jesus says, follow me. When Jesus says, follow me, he's saying, I am going, going to be the one that leads you now. I am going to be the voice that you listen to. I am going to be your guide. I'm going to set the direction, the trajectory of your life. I'm going to be the one that determines that, not you. Follow me. I will make you. Jesus tells these disciples that you have a new master. And you don't just listen to him. You subject yourself to him. Jesus is going to break down who you are. He's going to tear down things in your life that are going to be so difficult to watch leave. And he says, I'm going to make you a new person. Follow me, I will make you. And then number three, the, the third portion of this verse, I'll make you fishers of men. Jesus gives us a new purpose. You thought that your job was to catch fish and to make money that way. Jesus says there's something that goes beyond that. More than what you do 40 hours a day, I'm going to give you a greater purpose. And this is a radical change for those who will answer Jesus' call to discipleship. This is a reorientation of everything that we've known, of everything that we care about in our lives. When Jesus calls us to follow him, he's saying, I'm going to give you a new identity. You will not be you anymore. So this is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It means to learn from him, to submit to his teaching, and join with him in the work that he came to do. And here's a problem for us, that when Jesus calls us to follow him, inevitably there will, be co there will come times when he, what he teaches will, what, will, will go against what we want to be true. Have you ever read the Bible and went, oh no, 
I do not jive with this. I do not want what I read in his word to be true. And yet it is. There will come moments when what he commands of us will go against what we want to do. God, I wanted to do this with my life. God, I wanted to go in this direction. I wanted to live in this zip code. I wanted to be friends with this group of people. And Jesus says, no, you're not. Because you're not who you thought you were. I'm going to make you a different person. If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you need to ask yourself, will you take up your cross daily? Or will you deny yourself? Or will you fulfill yourself? Will you be grateful or will you grumble? Will you be generous or will you hoard? Will you move toward this person that you dislike? Or will you allow the root of bitterness to sink in deeper and deeper into your heart? Will you isolate yourself or will you place yourself in community where it is inconvenient and uncomfortable? How does discipleship change us? That's how. It goes against what you want. In order for us to grow and mature, we need to be pushed beyond what we thought we could handle. So we need to take on tasks that are bigger than our abilities allow. We need to deny ourselves and do what he commands. And this is how we're shaped. Discipleship is a movement. Jesus is moving somewhere. And he says, come with me. Move with me. So this is our first point, that, that there is a movement. There is, life with Jesus is dynamic and it's unpredictable and it is risky and uncomfortable. This is your existence now, if you're a disciple. But this is one where Christ is with you. So discipleship as a movement changes us. That's our first point. The second point, the place of discipleship. We do not follow Jesus alone. And this is something that we really need to get. This is something that you've heard over and over from the pulpit, from your small group leaders, from uh, the elders, from hopefully other people in the church. You do not follow Jesus alone. If you want to follow Jesus, it's going to be in the context of the church. Now, this goes against the individualism of our culture. This is not an appealing message to those of us who don't like to be questioned and challenged and bothered by other people. If that's what you want to do, watch services on YouTube and don't be engaged with the church community. You can do that, but you're not going to follow Jesus the way he intends if you do that. Because the church is one of the primary means that God uses to shape us as disciples. The church... Um, a few weeks ago, Pastor John talked about the scripture and, and it, scripture, and he talked about, I love this uh, point in his message um, a few weeks ago. He says, uh, in the family, in the home, this is where we make disciples as well. And, and I encourage you to listen to his sermon on that. This is the second scripture um, sermon that in the series. But um, the family is also a disciple-making place. But even the family is placed in the context of church. It's in the context of Christian community that we're able to practice the one another's of the New Testament. Discipleship happens in the church. The church is where the gospel is proclaimed. No other institution in the world 
has given this responsibility. The church is where the gospel is proclaimed, 2 Corinthians 8. The church is where the saints are sanctified, 1 Corinthians 1. The church is where we use the gifts that God has given us, 1 Corinthians 12. It's where we're built up in their faith, 1 Corinthians 14. It's where the saints are equipped, Ephesians 4. It's where Christ reigns as head, Colossians 1. This is the church given this unique responsibility that no other group or institution has been given in the history of the world. And also, the church is not where you gather with like-minded people. The church is where you go to develop a Christ-mindedness. Your opinions and your preferences, they matter. They should be discussed. It should be done in the safety of uh, the church family. But at the end of the day, your preferences and your opinions are subject to the preferences and the will and the thoughts of Christ. To be a disciple is to bend and to accommodate to what he wants. To be a disciple means that you are a disciple in the context of the church. And I want to talk about two layers of church participation and how they shape us as disciples of Christ. And uh, these might seem a little bit obvious, but I want to point them out. I want to articulate them because we forget them so often. To be disciple happens in the church and we are shaped in the context of the church. And this happens generally and specifically. A few ways in which generally we are shaped as disciples in the church. Number one, this is where we see the work of God in the lives of others. There are some people at this church that I have known for a long time. Uh, some of some of you guys I've known for my entire life. Um, there's there's there are some people that I've known for ten years, twelve years since this church began, and the people that they are now are not the people that I knew back then. And one of the reasons that I believe that the gospel is true is because I've seen the power of it in the lives of other people. That's the first thing. The second thing, the church is where we'll find someone who will believe for us when we have no belief for ourselves. Have you ever doubted what you believe? Have you ever come to church thinking, I'm wasting my time? What am I doing? I'm not even sure this is true. The church is where you'll find people who will believe on your behalf when you have no belief. To borrow from Andrew Peterson, the church is where there are people who will sing out your song when the song in you has died. The third way, the church is where you're forced to interact with people that you disagree with. In doing so, you will learn patience and grace and forgiveness, and these things will shape you. The fourth, the church is where we see models of faithfulness. The church is where we see people on a regular basis who show up week after week. Um, I try not to name names too much in my sermons, um, but uh, I'm going to mention a couple names right now. I don't know if they want me to mention their names. They have no idea I'm doing this, but um, Uncle Tommy and Auntie Catherine, I've known them for most of my life. And uh, for 30 plus years, um, 35 plus years, I've seen them be 
models of faithfulness week after week, serving the Lord, serving the church. I've never heard them grumble or complain. Um, Their children are here. Their children are proof of their faithfulness. I've been able to experience that and watch that and witness that because they have been a model to me week after week. They've shown up, and so have I. I would have missed out on that if I did not make myself a part of this church. And my own attitude toward faithfulness has been shaped by them. And they are just two of the many, many people that I get to watch as a part of a church community. There are so many people here that I see you working hard every week. I see, I, I know you make sacrifices that no one knows about. Despite the inconveniences, despite the suffering in your lives, we have so many people in our church who are models of faithfulness. And don't you want to be around those people? Did you know that there are many of your brothers and sisters at IGC who are going through the most difficult moments of their lives in this very moment? And some of them don't know when this is going to end. And did you know that they're still holding on to Jesus? They still show up. They still sing the songs. They still listen. They still practice the disciplines, even when they don't feel like it. And what is going to happen to you when you spend time with them week after week, decade after decade? This will shape who you are when you're a part of the church. So these are some of the general ways in which we're shaped as we are disciples in the context of the church. And then there are specific ways. The church is where you'll find people who are called to live life with you. We have community groups. Many of you are involved in those that meet throughout the week. This is where we discuss the sermons and scripture. And this is where we are present in each other's lives. And then there are a number of discipleship groups happening. These are smaller, they're more intimate, they're more intentional. This is where people learn to follow Christ in a more pointed manner. They're asked difficult questions, expectations and commitments are higher. These are places where others take responsibility for your spiritual health and where people learn to take responsibility for the health of others. And where are you going to find these people? It's going to be in the context of the church. And even if you're unable to be part of a CG or DG right now, I know that there are some people that just, it's really hard for them. You need to find people who can teach you. You need to find people who you can teach. And if you're not participating in the life of the church, if you're not being proactive and being embedded and integrated into the life of this church or another gospel preaching church, then you are missing out on one of the most important aspects of the Christian faith. Discipleship cannot happen if you don't have meaningful relationships with other believers who are willing to walk alongside you and to challenge you. Um, In the world, there are very rare exceptions in which you can follow Christ without a spiritual family. Very rare in other countries And if you're listening to this here at this park or on YouTube or on Spotify, you are not that exception. You're not that exception. You need others. And look at the passage from Matthew 4 again. Isn't it interesting that the very first time that he calls the disciples, Jesus calls two of them at once, not as individuals, but as brothers. And later on in the passage, he calls again 
two brothers. Jesus calls us as disciples in community. And then consider our identity as children of God. We are sons and daughters. Sons and daughters are in the same family. You are brothers and sisters. First, or John 14, 18, Jesus tells us that he will not leave us as orphans. We're not meant to follow Christ apart from the family of Christ. The church is a family. You belong in this family if you are a member. And if you're not a member of this church or another church, find a church to be a part of. God's great work in our lives is that we become more like Christ as we follow him. And one of the primary ways in which he shapes us is through other, through other people in the context of the church. So we're called to shape others and, other, and we're called to be shaped by others. Our second passage today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, um, your bulletin, or look at your Bibles again. I'm going to read these verses to you from 1 Corinthians 4, verses 9 through 16. This is the Apostle Paul talking. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To present to the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and still and are still like, scu- like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Verse 14. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. He tells the Corinthian church of what he's suffered for their sake. He's suffered a lot for them. The same way that a father loves his husband, loves, loves his children. Paul loves the members of the church. What did it cost Paul? It cost Paul his pride. It cost his reputation, his health, his finances, his energy, his sanity. And Paul says, imitate me. To those of us who have a desire to disciple others, Paul says, do what I've done. Be like me. Embrace suffering for the sake of your people. Discipleship is sacrificial. It costs us something to follow Christ. It costs us something to help others follow Christ. If you want to follow Jesus and help others follow Jesus, you will be asked to give up things in your life. Your time, definitely. You're going to end up sacrificing years of your decades of your life if you want to be a disciple maker comfort and predictability yes career opportunities probably maybe social standing uh most likely your preference to not engage with people you don't like absolutely to be a disciple maker means you're going to give up those things and to be a disciple is to be is is deeply transformational because Others will shape you and you will be shaped as you help others. 
a short word for those of us who don't currently have a meaningful relationship with um, others, someone or multiple someones who will help you better follow Jesus. Um, you can talk to the pastors or the elders or the staff, um, and uh, we'll we'll talk to you. We'll see how we can help. Um, if you're part of a CG, talk to your CG leader and ask them, how can I be more involved? What can I do? Um, and better yet, for all of us, if you want to be in a discipleship relationship, go find someone and ask them if they want to learn how to follow Jesus with you. And there are resources that we can recommend. In the upcoming newsletter, I'm going to recommend a few uh, books and talks about discipleship. Um, but this is how we are shaped as disciples. It has to be in the context of other people. You cannot live the Christian life alone. Our final point, what is the reward of discipleship? So look again at Matthew 4. Jesus called to the first disciples. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We're all called to discipleship, but the disciple, but discipleship is not the ultimate goal of what we do as believers. Jesus says, follow me. And when Jesus says, follow me, he says, I am the ultimate goal. Again, the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Philippines, Philippians chapter 3, he says this, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies ahead and straining forward to what lies ahead. I'm sorry, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In this passage, Paul says, I am living as a disciple of Christ. And he's giving us a picture of this running, who's, who's, this athlete who's running with all his might to the finish line. Running with all his might. There's nothing left in him. And at the end of the finish line is the prize. And the prize is the reason why he's willing to train. The prize is the reason why he's willing to exert himself and to sacrifice everything. What is this prize? What is this reward? It's fellowship with Christ. Christ is the reward. Do you remember what the chief end of man is? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The chief end of discipleship is God himself. J.T. English, he's a pastor in Colorado. He writes this. Deep discipleship is more about reveling in the transcendence of God than it is a ministry practice. The source of true discipleship is not better programs, better preaching, or better community. All those and more are hugely important tools, but the source of discipleship is God himself. Thus, at the heart of everything we do is the desire to grow in our love and knowledge of God. Discipleship is about a redirection of our loves to the one who is lovely. What you love most will shape what you do and the person that you become. And I, I mentioned this uh, a couple of weeks ago in my last sermon. Who or what will you love? Who or what will you follow? Everything we follow, everything that we give our lives to, will take from us. They will demand our lives. And so will Jesus. Jesus wants all of us. Do you remember the quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer? When Christ calls a man, 
or a woman, he bids him come and die. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When Jesus says, follow me, he's saying, it is going to cost your very life. But we can give our lives to him because we know that he will never do wrong to us. And we know this because he gave us his own life. We were alienated from our creator God because we followed ourselves. We followed our passions. We followed our lusts. We followed our preferences instead of following him. And the paths that we created to follow ourselves, they led to death. But God loved us enough to give us another path. On the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for our sin and rebellion so that we would not die, but that so, so that we would live. And if you are in Christ, you are now free to follow him. You're no longer enslaved to your passions. You're no longer enslaved to your preferences. You're free to follow him, will you? In a few moments, Nate is going to lead us in a song, uh, Jesus, I, My Cross Have Taken. And this is a song about discipleship. And it ends with these words, Soon shall close thy earthly mission. Soon shall pass thy pilgrim days. Hope shall change to glad fruition. Faith to sight and prayer to praise. Soon shall close thy earthly mission. Soon shall pass thy pilgrim days. There is going to come a day when you are going to look back on your life and you will see that your life really was a vapor, as the book of James says. Your life is a mist that appears for a little while and then it vanishes. And when you realize that, you will turn around and you will see Jesus And you will realize that it was worth it. What will sustain us in the years and decades to come? We've said this from the pulpit. We hope our church, by the grace of God, will exist for not just years, but decades. We hope that you'll stick along with us for the ride. What's going to sustain us? It's not going to be charismatic leaders. It's not going to be good programs. Jesus alone will sustain us. Only Jesus. Only Jesus is worthy of our sacrifices. Only he is worthy of our following. Will you pray with me? Father, what a terrible, awful, scary thing it is for us to listen to these words. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. But what a wonderful thing it is, because when you call us to this type of death, on the other side is life. I pray that you would give us the desire to be disciples and to make disciples. This is what our church exists for, God. Make it true of us. Make it true of us as a church and as individuals. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our teacher. Amen.